Must have been looking down at my notes. I didn't realize that offering had been collected. So, it was, right? Okay. So, sorry. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you have shown your grace to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and sending him to be the propitiation of our sins. And this church communicates that, as we have so wonderfully seen in Joshua's testimony. Lord, we see that in his testimony and in the life of this church and all the lives of those who inhabit it, you are the one who is glorified. You are the one who is worshipped. And so receive for yourself glory right now. Give us hearts that are attentive, minds that are alert. Help us fight against our distractedness and anything else so that we can hear your word clearly given to us. Thank you, Lord, for what we are about to receive. Be with me. I am a frail, fragile, and faulty instrument, and yet you will delight to draw straight lines with crooked pencils. So be with us all now, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Passage for today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 35, verses 21 through 29. Exodus 25, 21 through 39. If you have your Bibles, it is the second book of the Bible. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the back of your bulletin. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches, and earrings, and signet rings, and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue, or purple, or scarlet yarns, or fine linen, or goat's hair, or tanned ram skins, or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices, and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. May God bless this reading of his word. There's this episode that I dearly cherish in American history. None of you were alive for this, so, and, uh, and I think precious few will have ever have known that this happened. But during World War II, in the 1940s, during America's involvement, what happened? Thousands on thousands of young men, the workforce of America, were sent to the war effort in Europe and in the Pacific. These were a lot of the people who would be making infrastructure and even food. And so what would happen to the nation? When so many were gone, and during war, your requirement for food and for produce doesn't diminish because people are out of town, it increases because now you have to take care of people who would ordinarily take care of that for themselves. 
And so the government and uh, Eleanor Roosevelt started this in the White House, made a victory garden, all right? A produce garden where they asked everyone, will you contribute to the war effort? Will you participate and help our soldiers, sailors, and uh, I guess they weren't called airmen back then yet, and make of your front lawns and your backyards. So this didn't go out to existing farmers. This went out to suburbanites, urbanites. Will you participate? Will you join in? We need you. Your country needs you. And so, people took their front yard, people in the front lawn. People took the backyard. People took rooftops of apartment buildings in the city. People took abandoned vacant lots and made just cornfields out of them, made squash, made cucumbers, made whatever they they could. And I'm learning as a new homeowner that gardening is hard. I have no gift for it. I have barely any inkling of desire for it. But I do know that it is hard. Every day you have to tend it. So if you don't water your black-eyed Susan flowers every day, they shrivel up and die. Come to my house. I'll show you. And so people every day went out. On top of their own work, they went out to do what they could. See, the people's hearts were stirred to daily labor because they remembered what the GIs were doing for them. And they agreed with and loved their mission to fight back the tide of darkness and evil. And so they gave of their hearts. And so the three points for today's message are, remember what God has done, love his mission, and give with all your heart. First point, remembering what God has done. That's actually not mentioned here in the part of chapter 35 that we've just read. But God himself, as he was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountaintop, told him who he was and what he had done. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. Right before telling him, this is how my people will live, God says what he has done. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is their God. And the Israelites, God's people, are called to remember what he has done. I mean, they remember, they are a slave people. They were a slave people for 400 years in Egypt. And this was foretold by God that Jacob and his sons came when Joseph was a prime minister of Egypt, and they came there because of the famine. And they did well until the Egyptians started souring on them. And so they started being subjugated and made into slaves. God told Jacob's grandfather Abraham that this was going to happen. For 400 years, they will not be in the promised land. They will be in Egypt. But then God would bring them home. And we know that our God is a God of promises, a God who gives promises and a God who keeps them. 
And that's exactly what God did. What do you think the Israelites were thinking? Here they are in the land of Goshen, and there's, there's the rest of Egypt and the Nile where they, you know, just the Egyptians got the nice places to live. What's happening over there? Oh, the river just turned red. Whoa, what's up with that? And oh, the river just killed all life, and the frogs have jumped out of it. And now there are frogs everywhere, everywhere over there. Not over here, not in slave country. Now the frogs have all died because the water all just went, went bad. So now there are flies everywhere. We're good over here. And so on and so forth. There, it's so nasty over there. Everyone's getting boils and everything. It's like a proactive commercial over here. Everyone's skin is still fine. And then, it's hailing over there. It's good here. The light goes out over there. But we're still seeing by the light of day here. And then, the plague of the firstborn. And Pharaoh finally is fed up and angrily casts the Israelites out of Egypt, saying, leave. And what's happening while the Israelites are leaving? The Egyptians are giving them stuff. Gold, silver, jewelry, fine clothes. I don't know what you do if someone you don't like is leaving. I don't give them precious goods. You might give them a reason to stay. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was making what he wanted to happen, happen. And so the Israelites plundered the powerful Egyptians. And even, even when it seems like Pharaoh is about to renege on his promise, and they're stuck up against the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's coming with his army, about to obliterate them off the face of the earth, God does what only God could do. And even if our, in our imaginations, we couldn't have come up with this. He takes water and separates it and makes dry land that can be walked on. And so every Israelite walks in, down, up, and out into freedom. And not so the Egyptians. And so the Israelites were called to remember the God who rescued them, who brought them out of Egypt, the house of slavery. And we are called to remember what God has done for us in Christ. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And so far better than just being saved from, rescued from slavery and from a foreign land. Our Savior has come to rescue for us from our sin and from death. And so we are called to remember who our God is, what He has done. But it's actually not enough. That's not enough. The Israelites didn't do what was next, what was required. Because, I mean, come on, they're not dumb. They just got out of Slavery, they just went through a sea and they're out on the other side. So they're remembering what God has done, but do you know what happens right before this? As God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments and the laws and saying, This is how I will be loving my people, this is how I will be their God. While Mount Moses is on the mountain, what are the people doing? They're going to Aaron and asking him to make a golden calf idol. And when we say calf, I don't know why every translation says calf. It really means to say bull. 
all right? Because when you're making an idol of a God that you want protecting you, you want it to be a big, strong, powerful God. You don't want a little veal cow made of Wagyu beef saying, all right, that looks tasty. Let me take him out. So it's a bull. And are they deluded? They say, let us make this idol and worship it and give it credit for rescuing us out of Egypt. That's insanity, isn't it? Actually, they were doing what every other nation in the world at that time was doing. Every nation had gods, multiple gods, a pantheon of gods. And they worshipped those gods by making idols of them. They might make temples, nice buildings to worship them in. But the understanding was you worshipped this idol, this god, because this god was far away. Because no god or no gods would ever want to be here on earth with us because we're dirty, because we're a constant pain, and we're so far beneath them that they would want nothing to do with us. The only thing that they want is our worship. And so the Israelites, they thought... God had rescued them, given them freedom so that they could be free to be like every other nation in the world. That is not why God rescued them. He would not be the far-off God. He would be Emmanuel, God with us, the God who comes near And so, he is calling us, he was calling the Israelites to know and to love his mission, which is the second point, to rescue and to be with his people, not just to save them and then put them off on his own and be a distant God again, but to rescue and be with his people. And so, right before this, right after they get in trouble for for the golden calf idol, A god, any other god or pantheon would have crushed and punished the people. This god, the god of the Israelites, renews his covenant. He reiterates his promise to them instead, saying, I will be your god, you will be my people, and I will be with you. And so we come to Exodus 35, 21. This is why they're responding. This is how they're responding. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. See, tent of meeting. That was the purpose of that structure. You don't go, to, tweens don't go to the senior center to have a rave. This was meant for one reason, one purpose, for God to meet with his people and they with him. This was so far different from every other earthly temple where you went there to sacrifice and pay homage to a far-off God. God would meet his people there. So again, what do you think the Israelites are thinking? Wait. 
He's not going to kill us for giving credit to this thing that we just made for saving us? All right, that already would be pretty good. But then, wait. He wants to be with us? He wants to be near us? He wants to engage in relationship with us and not go away? I want in. I want in. I want to be a part of that. Let me give whatever I can. I I haven't had this gold for very long. No attachment to it. Here, I would rather have that. I would rather have the God who comes near and stays with than anything that I can hold on to. See, when the Israelites understood what this collection was for, they saw the heart of the God who rescued them and wanted to be with them, to dwell among them. And this is just the palest foreshadowing. You see, the tabernacle, that tent of meeting, pointed ahead to a time. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, literally tented among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the tabernacle of God was only a foreshadowing of that wonderful day when God Himself would be incarnate and dwell among us and be with us so that He would die for our sins so that we could be His people, the people of His heart. And it doesn't even end there because we know that Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. So now each of us, our hearts are the tabernacle, the tent the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. That was God's mission, to rescue a people for himself and to be with them forever. That was Jesus' mission, to seek and save the lost. And when you see what God wants and how far he is willing to go to make his mission happen, then what happens? Just like verse 21 Everyone whose heart stirred him, all the women whose hearts stirred them, all the men and women whose heart moved them. The Israelites saw that they were the object of God's mission. And they loved, when they understood his mission, they loved it. How much more so us, when we can see that the real rescue mission was in Jesus Christ coming to save us from our sins, to give us freedom from our sin and death. And so when you see that, when you remember what God has done for us in Christ, and when you recognize His mission, that mission that you have to love, when you see that it was for you, that He paid the price on the cross, you have to love that mission then what is our response? Give with all your heart. You see, what does the Bible say? This wasn't a confiscation. The government didn't come around and say, bring out your gold, bring out your nice stuff. We're going to make something to our God with it. And neither was it out of fear. Wow, if we don't give, maybe God's going to kill us. Maybe he's that kind of God. 
But God just showed them that he wasn't, right? They just made gold and made an idol out of it and worshipped it. And he forgave them. So it wasn't obligation or coercion, and it wasn't fear. And this actually speaks to us today, too. Because have you ever given, whether offering or extra, a special offering or whatever, have you ever given out of fear? If I don't give this, then, you know, I've got to get the down payment together. Maybe God's not going to help me. Maybe God's not going to have me or give me what I need to do that. Or I've got kids going to college. But if I don't give offering, then maybe he's not going to bless me that way. That comes out of fear and not knowing what the heart of God really is. Or maybe, have you ever done this? I've done this, just done it out of obligation. My check comes in, first thing I do, write the check out for, for the offering. All right, I got to do it. So it's not even a question. Now, you might find something to admire about that, where it's not even a question, all right, so it's just a given, it's done. But has my heart engaged with God's purpose and God's mission in that moment? Because think about it, does God need anything that we have? Absolutely not. I mean, the Israelites, this was the perfect illustration All right, God said that make the tabernacle out of this beautiful stuff. All right, they had beautiful stuff to give. Where did they just get it from? They got it because God had them plunder the Egyptians. So who gave them the stuff in the first place? God. God could just cut out the middleman. All right, tap the mines himself. It is the heart that is the matter. It is the heart that is the currency in which God is dealing with. And we see this here. You know, just maybe you're reading Exodus 35 and you think that, oh, maybe just the Israelites who were, whose hearts were moved gave. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was all or most of them. It was just all of the people whose hearts were stirred, right? That could be a subset of the whole Israelites. In chapter 36, we see that's not the case. Chapter 36, verse 5, And the craftsmen said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. People were tripping over themselves to give what they had just gotten. They were slaves for centuries. You think any of them had ever seen gold before, much less had it? And yet they couldn't wait to give it to God because they wanted him more. They wanted his mission to be with them more than anything that they could place their hands on. And this is what God, is, God wants. 
our hearts. In Jeremiah 31, 33, he says, For this is the covenant, the promise that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so, you know, just in our campaign, talk about it in a second, we're calling you to give sacrificially. The Israelites, they certainly gave sacrificially, but all of this, the Israelites then and every person of God, all the people of God till today, we all still pale in comparison to the true heart that we are being called to image. Jesus Christ. You see, the end of this passage, verse 29, all the men and women, all the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. But Jesus Christ came and didn't just give up some of what he had, but he freely gave all of it, all right to comfort and to constant love of the Father and peace and health and happiness. He gave it up for us on the cross, taking everything that we deserve so that He would give us everything that He deserved. And He brought certainly more than enough to fill His mission to seek and save the lost. He brought His sufficient grace in His blood. Jesus Christ did not just simply set us a bar, a standard of behavior, which we could never meet. But He wrapped us in His conduct, in His behavior, in His obedience, so that we would never be without our God again. And so we see Paul talking about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And we know that the book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, the joy of fulfilling his mission and saving us from our sin and from death, for joy endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so now this comes to us and our hearts. See, this capital campaign, this renovation campaign is about so much more than money. If we got you excited and committed to giving for these next three years, and then after the renovations were all done and we fixed up everything that needed fixing, and you stopped right there and we were satisfied that, we'd all have missed the mark. Because the giving, this heart of giving to God's mission should never end. In fact, it should only grow in us. I am praying and the elders are praying that the next three years of sacrificially giving in our church will just start a flame in your heart 
a one that will just grow and grow until the day that you see our Lord. Because you are so just besotted with the idea of participating in the mission of God. Now, any time that you can't tie something that you're giving up to an authentic mission, you have no connection to it. All you're doing is just flushing money down the drain. So let me tie what we're trying to do into a way that you can think about it as a mission for God. Because renovations, I mean, is this ever really missional? All right. So here's the secret. What we're trying to do in the renovations is not for any of you. It really isn't. This church has stood for over a hundred years, and we wanted to stand for a hundred more. Not because the building just deserves standing. If we, if we thought that, we could give it to New York or the Federal Registry of Historic Places and let them just take care of it or trash it or what they're, whatever they're going to do. We wanted to stand for the next hundred years because we want it to be a gathering place for people to come and to hear the gospel preached and lived out before them, for people to be welcomed in, hurting people, broken people, lost people, the people that Jesus Christ came to save. They're why we want this place to stand for a hundred more years. And that's how even renovations can be missional. All right, someone... Someone invited their friend to church, but she told her friend, but just use the bathroom before you come, all right? Because what do we have? I call it the hole, okay? It's just terrible. And this is New York. First impressions matter. And we want the first impression that they walk away with not to be, wow, I might have contracted something there. Instead, we want it to be, I don't know what I just heard there, and I don't know what I just saw there, but it was good, and I want to go back. So that even a toilet that doesn't overflow or leak can be to the glory of God. Or broken ceiling tiles downstairs, all right? That's the craft area for VBS. So many of you have been involved in our VBS, and at least almost 100 kids come through. And lots of them are not kids of this church. What do you think those parents come when they come in through the open day on Friday with the kids going downstairs to pick their prizes and stuff, seeing broken and bowing ceiling tiles? And again, not knowing that they shouldn't have gone into the bathroom. They're thinking, I don't know if I want my kid to be regularly around this. Maybe once a year, once, one week a year is enough. Or do you want that, nope, there's no other distractions. There are no stumbling blocks except the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. See, that's what we're looking for. And that's what we see in this passage, isn't it? Count every time you see the word, every and all. And see how comprehensive it is. From the leaders and teachers, down to the craftsmen, laborers, those who had and those who could do, men and women, everyone is called to give their hearts. We even gave little blue piggy banks to the kids. 
It's not like those quarters are going to add up to anything. Maybe we can place one toilet seat with what the kids give if they bring anything. But we want them to understand that it is their heart that God desires to participate in this, all to their ability and even more as they are led. All right? So teenagers, all right, because we don't have a separate youth group service on Sunday, teenagers, you know, you have 40-year-olds 40, 40 and 50-year-olds coming, coming up with what your place should look like because we want it to be attractive. Do 40 or 50-year-olds know that what the heck that kids want? No. Can you contribute? Can you come in and say, hey, I think this would be good. Hey, I found this Christian poster that I think other teenagers might like. Hey, this is the Christian music that I've, we find ourselves kind of gravitating toward. Maybe we should buy that stuff on iTunes and have it playing. Do you understand that it's not about the money? What can you contribute to the mission of God to seek and save others so that God would be with them forever as he is with each and every one of us? You know, the victory gardens. Did I say how much they produced? You might think, all right, maybe some... Maybe some uh, pre-hippies, you know, just would have done this. Those people who like, you know, just working soil or whatever. I don't know. Hippies. One-third of the nation's produce was made in those victory gardens. One-third. Because people were remembering the troops and what they were doing for their sake. Those who could go and fight, doing it for those who couldn't. Remembering and loving and agreeing with their mission. Fight Nazism, fight the darkness, fight evil for the sake of life, for the sake of good. And they gave every day all that they had to contribute what they could. How can we do any less for our Savior, our God, as we remember how he has given up everything on the cross that we might live and invites us in, actually commissions us to go as his ambassadors. Let us run with all our hearts this race. I end with something Paul says about the church of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how good you are to us that you have shown from the garden to even this day that you are the God who wants to be with your people to draw near and you have shown how far you are willing to go to accomplish that mission that you would send your son to die for our sins on the cross that we might live 
And Jesus, you send your Holy Spirit into us so that we might see you, that we might trust you with our lives. And with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have become the dwelling place of God. And so now, help us as we have read in this word and as we have seen in Christ to, as the song lyric says, give as we have been given and love as we have been loved with all our hearts because this is what the Lord God desires of his people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise and let us sing this song together from the inside out.
rescued people. Our God calls you to remember and to love His mission and to take part in it, sharing in His joy. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all from now to forevermore. Amen and amen. Go in peace.